It is a privilege this morning to be asked to speak at this fellowship. This is Kingsway Christian Fellowship as well. Kingsway Christian Fellowship, Karen Downs. And you're more than our brothers and sisters in the Lord. You're um, a sister church, so there's a close tie there. And um, it is a privilege to be asked by your pastor, John Shipman, to share the word this morning. And we thank the Lord this morning for faithful ministers of the gospel. And um, your pastor John is a faithful minister of the gospel. I've been listening to some of the messages he's put online recently, and he's been teaching you verse by verse through the scriptures, and um, that's a very good way to go about doing it. Well, this morning I wanted to share something a little bit differently. I want to go to uh, the book of Corinthians, and I want to look at um, a well-known passage in chapter 15. And I want to break it down and open it up a little bit, and um, do a little bit of study on it for our benefit this morning. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing before we start. Lord, we just ask this morning that you would um, open the word up for us, Lord, that you'd illuminate it, Lord, and that we just see, Lord, this morning what you have to say, that it would touch our hearts, Lord, and would uh, bring about change in us, and just would be a blessing for us all this morning. Lord, where we need to be challenged, challenge us. Lord, where we need to be corrected, correct us. Lord, where we need to be Encouraged, encourage us. Does, does everything in the Word of God for us this morning? Whatever your situation, or wherever you're standing now, there's something in God's Word for us today. Amen. And um, just to give this message a title, I would just call it "The Gospel is Not of This World." So I want to start by reading these two verses from 1 Corinthians 15, and it's verses 3 and 4. What it says there. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And um, there's so much in those two verses to open up and to look at. But what I want to do is I just want to break it into seven, seven subsections and look at each one individually. And the seven subsections there are Delivered first, received, died, for our sin, buried, rose again, and according to the scriptures. Now to put this into a little bit of context, this is obviously penned by the Apostle Paul, who was a great apostle to the Gentiles. And he's written some incredible, um, deep um, material in the New Testament. And... um, some of us are still studying and perhaps we don't fully grasp everything he wrote, but praise the Lord, the Lord opens it up to us continuously and will do as we keep studying and persevere. But the Apostle Paul was on this earth not long after the time of Jesus. And history tells us that Jesus was crucified about 32 AD. And we know that um, Paul's conversion, according to church history, is about 34 the 37 AD when he had the Damascus Road experience where the risen Jesus confronted him and he was driven to his knees, he was blinded and um, you know the words of the Lord were Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? And uh, why do you kick against the goads? And uh, you know Paul realised who was speaking and it changed him forever. And we also know that this 
particular book, Corinthians, is purported to be written around about 54 to 55 AD. So if we just do our subtraction, we're looking at a period of 22, maybe 24 years after Calvary. Now many would say, oh, as Andre alluded to this morning, you know, this is story, this is fable. Over a period of time, this has um, been corrupted or been, been stretched, the truth has been stretched. But this is a short period of time, and many of the people who were alive, who witnessed what happened at Calvary, who witnessed the, uh, all the goings-on and the miraculous things that happened at the time of the resurrection, were still present. So I'd, I'd put it to you this morning that it's unlikely that um, people will be so easily deceived by, by writings such a short space of time after such an amazing series of events. We could say about these two verses, this is perhaps one of the first statements of doctrine or the first creeds in the Bible because it states there things that are very, very basic and very central to our beliefs as Christians this morning. Now we this morning can debate and discuss a lot of things. There are things in Scripture we'd have to acknowledge this morning that may be open to different interpretation or, or different views by individuals. For example, people have different views about the first chapter of Genesis and how long that week was. People may have a different view exactly as to when the, the rapture may occur, but we're told not to fall out over those things. But these things here, the resurrection, the death of Jesus, Calvary, they're absolutely critical and essential to our walks and our lives as Christians. And if we fall out over those or disagree over those, we have a serious issue. Now, the, there are many, unfortunately, within the Christian church today, or I would use the term loosely Christian church, who perhaps deny the resurrection or deny that, that Jesus really was crucified or really rose from the dead. And, um, you know, we can't have that. We can't um, tolerate such things, as it were. It's, it's, I use that word tolerate. We can't. Because we referred into this particular um, chapter, you'll see how important the resurrection is. And perhaps today we want to emphasize a little bit more on the resurrection because it's critical. And you'll see it says later on in the chapter here, if there's no resurrection, well then there's no resurrection for us and we're, we're fools. We're just wasting our time. We're wasting our time coming to church this morning. Well, that's not the case. Now, these two verses are um, central, as I say. They're easy to convey. Now, I don't know if anybody here remembers <coughs> Pastor Larry de Bruin, who visited Kingsway a couple of times. And unfortunately, he's unwell and he's, he's uh, been very, very seriously ill. But he gave a very simple visual way of conveying these two verses. And perhaps it would be good for Sunday school children or good for even adults just to, to put it in our minds and... The way he explained it was, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You get those little hand movements and motions right, that locks that Scripture in your mind for, for the duration. So it's a useful way of, of remembering it. And... Um, I'd ask you this morning, just as a question, how real is the resurrection for you this morning? And I hope the answer is yes. How real is it for you this morning? Let's ask you a couple of questions by way of this introduction. 
What is the gospel? What is the gospel to you? And let's answer it by scripture. We go to Romans one sixteen. Here's one answer. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So it's the power of God unto salvation. Another answer, we can look at Isaiah 52 and verse 7. And it says there, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good news, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. So it's good news. And uh, perhaps one more, Acts 4, verse 12. It says there, Neither is the salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So this gospel is very, very central to our salvation. Now this world is, without Jesus, without his word, is lost. This world is hopeless. And, um, you know, no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. So we need to get these things straightened out. We need to understand that we have an answer for the world that's lost. Let me ask the reverse question this morning. What is the gospel not? Well, again, Andre this morning alluded to the use of the word story. Gospel is definitely not story. It's not fables. It's not poetry. It's not wisdom. It's not allegory. Although some of those things may be touched in Scripture, there is certainly wisdom in Scripture. There's history in Scripture. But it's more. It's a lot, lot more. It's not a book that's of human origin. And um, I just thought of an example this morning that your pastor, John Shipman, and Pastor Werner Schultz have used in the past, just to give you a little bit of peace of mind about how we can put our trust in the Scripture. And it's just based on prophecy and just the, 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 uh, the argument of fulfilled prophecy. And I'll just try to relate how they related it. But um, there are rules of prophecy. And I think there's three rules of prophecy. One is that it must not have human origin. Two is that it must be um, fulfilled a reasonable time after the prediction. And there must be no chance of coincidence. There must be sufficient detail to eliminate any chance of coincidence. Now, scholars tell us there are 330 prophecies that have been fulfilled, and there are many more to be fulfilled, relating to Jesus and his time on earth. We'll do a little bit of mathematics this morning. You toss a coin, and you get either heads or tails. So you've got a one in two chance, or 50% probability of getting a head or a tail. Anybody who knows billiards, if you took three billiard balls, numbered one, two, and three, and put them in a, a bag, and put your hand in the bag, and pull out those billiard balls one by one, one by one, you could get different combinations of the numbers. You might get three, two, one, you might get three, one, two, you might get one, two, three. But there'd be a probability of getting one, two, and three the first time. Now, if you extend that to 330, which is the number of scriptures that have been fulfilled, and we've given the three rules or guidelines that would, uh, that would um, 
qualify prophecy, the expression for that is, it's 1 over 2 to the power of 330, which is the number 4.57 by 10 to the minus 10. Now, I won't try to say that number because it probably stretches from between both walls. That number is beyond possibility and it's into the realms of the miraculous and God's hand is involved and uh, it's beyond chance so another visual way of conveying that that uh, your pastor John gave was to consider the the world and those of you who remember your geography will know that the circumference of the earth is about 26,000 kilometres and uh, the picture he painted was to imagine taking 20 cents coins, silver 27 20 cents coin, and curving the whole surface area of the world to a depth of one meter. And then to take a single gold-colored $1 coin and to go and to bury that somewhere in that pile of 20 cents coins. And then to take a helicopter and get a pilot, put a pilot in a helicopter, blindfold him, and I think because he's blindfolded, he probably is going to need autopilot, and to send them off on a flight, and then to get on the radio to him and tell him to stop, stop there. And then he has to get out of his helicopter, take off his blindfold, drop his hand into that pile of, pile of coins, and pull out one coin. Now, the chances of getting the gold coin first time are the same sort of probability we're talking about of all of these prophecies being fulfilled by chance. Yet, Satan seeks to destroy and to hinder the work of the Word of God and its, and its um, preaching and its uh, publishments throughout this world. And I noticed just sitting down before the service on the overhead there, there was a couple of captions concerning how dictators have tried to, to, uh, to quash the Word of God, how dictators have executed and killed people who preached the Word of God, and, um, but they're not successful. And even in my own country, Ireland, where, where, where I was born, there was a period during the Dark Ages where it was one of the few places in Europe where the Bible was still kept alive because of the work of the Catholic Church and, and other elements to try extinguish it and keep it out of the hands of ordinary people. This word is powerful this morning, and it's powerful and effective in your hands. And um, it's the work of Satan to try actually keep that out of your hands this morning and to... Um, hinder its effectiveness in your life. It's 100% reliable. And we know that Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the intents and thoughts of the heart. That's a lot of things there that the Word of God can do. And, um, you know, We're talking about it being corrupted, just on the term corrupted. Paul says that he readily received it. Uh, we just look at 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 3. I beg your pardon, 2 verse 13. It says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when we received the word of God which ye heard of, we received it not as the word of men, but as in it it is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So it effectually works this morning 
and it certainly effectually works in Paul. Again, on the topic of what it's not, well, the Mormons have a book, the Muslims have a book, the Quran, the Jehovah's Witnesses have an adapted version of the Bible, there's other modern versions of the Bible, the Message Bible, I would put to you that they are corruptions and they go against what we're clearly instructed in Scripture not to do, which is to tamper with or to add to the Word of God. Let's look at uh, Galatians 1, verse 6 and 7. Good to back everything up with Scripture. And Paul says there, in talking to the Galatians, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you that would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, other than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. So, you can very clearly stand this morning and say that when somebody comes to you with a new version of, of doctrine or scripture or something that's to be added, or a new book, whether it's the book of, of um, Joseph Smith or, or a, a corrupted version of the Bible, you can quite readily and safely say you reject it. Because it goes against what we're instructed not to do. Now the Bible, the Word of God this morning is different to other publications in this world. You can read the latest novel, you can read the di- Reader's Digest and read some very encouraging articles in the Reader's Digest. You can read the latest science journal but nothing is going to impact you or affect you like the received Word of God. It's such a powerful thing this morning. It's a sword. A sword in the hands of those who believe. Amen. Okay, so just to jump into those seven different uh, sections I wanted to break that into and just to look at each one as a study. And the first one was delivered unto you first of all. This morning as believers it should be a priority to us to deliver the word of God. Not every one of us is a, is a preacher not every one of us will stand on the corner of the street and preach the gospel. But every one of us will interact with people from day to day be his family or fellow workers you will have the opportunity by your character, by your behaviour by being able to share a word of encouragement or share a scripture or share a word of wisdom from scripture to people that can impact their lives I was once in a, um, a medical centre and I seen on the wall a, uh, a little saying which I thought was very good and it said there um, So good, I forget it. <laughs> yeah, I think it was the um, the urgent must not subjugate the important. That's what it said. The urgent must not, not not subjugate the important. There are many, many urgent things this morning in our lives. And I'm sure this morning, among you, we all have problems and issues that this world uh, brings across us. And you know, what's urgent to you this morning? You may be struggling with your mortgage payments. You may have issues with your children. You may have health issues. Those things may be urgent. But the important thing is not to lose sight of Jesus and not to lay aside his word. Because everything else flows out from that. If you have that basis right, then we'll be able to tackle the other issues that we face. 
Let's look at two more scriptures. Matthew 6, verse 30. I'm sure we'll all recognize this one. The red writing is always the words of Jesus. Wherefore, if God God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? God is going to look after us this morning. He looks after those who belong to him. And there's another verse there, just three verses down. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Amen. So, now let's trust what in his word this morning, trust what, he's, what he said, and make it a priority above the other situations that come across us in life. The second item there in that uh, breakdown was that which I also received. So it's not um, rocket science that they say to say that to deliver something, we must have first received it. And the question then this morning is, will we receive something? What is the source? Paul says that he received, and we read earlier on, his revelation from Jesus and not from man. Now there are many instances in this world where people have followed man and gone astray. And if anybody remembers back in the 1980s, Jim Jones, who may perhaps have started off well, but he eventually led, um, I think, about 900 people to their deaths. And we can think of uh, perhaps William Branham and other people that have led people astray. So this word is here as your plumb line and as a uh, method to check against what people do and what people say that we don't get misled. It's our reference. Let's go back and have another look at another scripture in Galatians. Galatians 1, 11 and 12. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, at that time, the New Testament was still being, being composed. It was a work in progress. And we don't necessarily get the same type of revelation that Paul gets, but his word has been left with us. And that's our primary source of reference. It says, that I have a good scripture reference, that the, his word is elevated above him. The word is central, and, and Jesus is the word. Have anybody ever looked at the topic of Roman history? And uh, in school in Ireland, I remember studying Roman history and studying Latin as part of our course uh, in secondary school. And um, you know, there's a lot to be there's a lot to be said there about the various Roman generals and Hannibal and all the different Caesars. Nobody denies that history is true, and that these people didn't exist. Yet there is far more written about Jesus Christ than there is about those people I've just mentioned. Yet people will not believe Jesus, will not believe and will deny him, but will accept man-written accounts more readily. It's interesting, isn't it? Another little test. Can you name anybody else that was crucified at the time of Jesus? Roman history says that many, many people were crucified during that time. And I think most times you'll find that nobody else can name another person who was crucified, but they can name Jesus. So Jesus stands out. And in, pre- in preparing for this, I've seen a little uh, survey that was done of the most famous people in history. Not that we put any trust in these sort of things, but Jesus was at number one, Napoleon was number two, 
and Muhammad was at number three. Interesting that many people who deny that he even existed, yeah, she's still up there on top of that list. This book is still the most read book, the most uh, publicized book, and Jesus is still the best known man in history. There was a line in a film I once seen, and it was, um, I think it was a court case scene, and the line was, you cannot handle the truth or words to that effect. And that's true of fallen man this morning. We can't handle the truth. We can't handle the truth that God is in authority. Every man knows in his heart that God really exists. And he knows that he's offended him because God's put a conscience in him and he's put that ability in us to know that. He denies God's authority. He denies that he's answerable to him. And he doesn't accept the fact that he's a lawbreaker and a sinner. That's why we preached the gospel this morning. To reinforce that and to bring it to people's attention that they have offended a holy and a real God and that they need to repent and they need to come to him to be saved. Everyone can receive this morning if they acknowledge their sin and if the Saviour draws them. And it's important. I was just listening to one of the Pastor John's sermons recently and he was talking about you just can't come to the Lord anytime you want. You may think, okay, I'll, del- I'll delay it this week, I'll wait till some other time, but it's a combination of, of his word taking effect, but it's also his timing, and that he draws. No man comes to the, the Father except he's drawn. So it's a, it's a good thing to remember that um, now is the day of salvation. Some of the characters in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and if you read their accounts, you'll see they're all flawed men. They all had character flaws. They all told lies or they were deceived people or did different things that we wouldn't perhaps associate with, with um, patriarchs or great men of God, but it is a fact that they did. They all received from God. Abraham in Genesis 12, he was told to get up and leave his land. Abraham, a, um, an idol worshipper in what's present day Iraq, was told to get up and to, to move, go to another country. Isaac in Genesis 26 was told to go to Egypt. Jacob had a dream in Genesis 28 and he seen the vision of the ladder in heaven. Moses in Exodus 3 had the vision of the burning bush. And he also, well I wouldn't call it a vision, he actually seen the burning bush is probably the correct way of putting it. And he also heard the words of God as he was standing on holy ground and to remove his, his footwear. Now we don't necessarily receive again Revelation or the Word of God in that manner, but in the Old Testament those things happened. They received. But we receive this morning by others preaching the Word to us, by testimony, and um, by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God can speak softly and gently to us as well and impress upon us things, perhaps things we need to correct or change. Now, if you're not saved this morning, what's hindering you? As I said already, you know, salvation is of the Lord. Today may be the day of your salvation. So if you're not saved this morning, it's a good thing to actually to hear, this thing, hear these words this morning and to repent and turn to the living God. Let's look at the scripture in Romans 10 verse 9. On that same theme. 
But if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You can stand on that this morning. If you're unsaved this morning, or if you're, you're doubting, you can stand on that. It says it there in the Word of God. You confess with your mouth and believe in the Lord God, you will be saved. Amen. The next uh, word I wanted to look at was how Christ died. This is a key part as well, of course, that um, Christ really did die for our sins. And um, just on, on Jesus, who Jesus was, well, he was fully God and fully man. And in theology that's called the hypostatic union. He was a perfect, acceptable sacrifice before the Father. Yeah. In this way, Christianity is unique. There's no other ism or creed or ethos or belief system that, 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 that comes anywhere close to Christianity. And um, you know, when we've been out on occasion witnessing in the streets in Melbourne and Burke Street. We've um, engaged some of the Muslims who have a stall on the opposite side of the street. And it's interesting to have a discussion with them about who they see as their prophets. And obviously, Muhammad is their principal prophet, but they also see Jesus as a prophet. And a conversation will often bring the, uh, this thought for them to consider. That you would say to them, do you believe Jesus was sinless? And in most cases they will say yes. And, uh, well, do you believe Muhammad was sinless? And it's very, very apparent from the writings that Muhammad wasn't sinless, that he had a lot of blood on his hands and a lot of sin in his life. But Jesus was sinless and was perfect. And the question would be from that is, well, why do you follow the, less, the lesser prophet? Why not follow the superior prophet? The one who hasn't sinned, the one who is perfect. And that uh, usually gets the topic of conversation changed in a different direction. <coughs> the crucifixion, as we call it, is well documented. And the intense suffering and the pain and everything that the Lord went through. And uh, we get the word excruciating, or to go to the crux of the matter in the English language, comes out of that word, crucifixion. Now, perhaps you could say this morning that a man could undergo, a normal man could undergo the same sort of physical trial that Jesus went under. And we know that he was um, effectively beaten to a pulp. And as the words in the Old Testament say that his visage was marred beyond recognition. He was so smashed up and, and abused and beaten. Well, you could say, well, that could happen to an ordinary man as well. You might be in a severe accident or in an explosion or something. You may display the same sort of um, symptoms. But I always think, and, and I, I always feel this when I'm um, presiding over the table the Lord as Andre was this morning, that there's a deeper spiritual thing that we can't grasp, and that is how Jesus became sin on our behalf. How the Father looked away from him, for an instance. Something went on in the spiritual, it was a spiritual transaction that took place that we cannot fully grasp. And if you look at 2 Corinthians 5.21, I think it puts that into into words very well. It says there, For he had made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And as we just said a moment ago, Jesus knew no sin, he was perfect. But somehow, a spiritual transaction took place where he became sin on our behalf. He took our sin upon him. Now, we may be able to comprehend the physical abuse and the physical beating, 
what our minds this morning can't handle or can't, I think, reason or rationalize how that could happen. How can a perfect create a perfect being, Jesus, the begotten Son of God, take on such a thing? Well, he did. And he did that for me and you this morning. And that's what separates Christianity very, very distant apart from um, other religions of this earth. Other religions are all, as we know, man-centered. It's something you've got to do, or you've got to go to, to Mecca, or you've got to say so many decades of the rosary, or you've got to do this, you've got to do that. In biblical Christianity, it's not what we've done, it's what Jesus has done. He's done everything for us, and he's done what, to us, is the impossible, that can't be rationalized or reasoned. And he died at the appointed time. His life wasn't taken from him, he laid it down. And it's important to, to remember that. that. He laid his life down. And if you look at Matthew 27, verse 50, it says there, He committed the spirit, Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. He gave up the ghost, as, as they say in the old um, King James English. Moving on, the next uh, word in there is our sin. Now, Sin is not something that's necessarily spoken of very often in churches today. But sin is a very, very serious matter before God. Thank God this morning for the grace of God that um, you know, even though we still sin and still err, that we have the blood of Jesus and we can ask God for forgiveness daily. But we don't want habitual sin in our life. We want to overcome sin. We want to be perfected more into Jesus' image day by day. We won't be perfect until the day he comes back and we will still sin. But we must never lose sight of what sin is before a holy God. It's uh, something that deserves judgment and it's something that separates us from God. Sin is very, very serious before God. If you look at the commandments in the Old Testament, in Exodus, you'll see that the commandments are broken into two sections. There's a section of commandments which is the first four commandments which is directed towards God. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make a graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember, keep the, keep the Sabbath day holy. We all offend in that area. If you offend in that area, it's ungodliness because you're sinning towards God. If you look at the other six commandments, you know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife, um, those are the six commandments they're all directed towards men or fellow man that's unrighteousness so our sin is, is comprises of ungodliness and unrighteousness and it stinks before God and um, you know we really really have to never lose sight of the fact that our sin was so terrible and um, you know we really really deserve judge. we deserve to be vaporized in his presence just to be wiped out uh, we look at, look at Romans 1.18 it says there for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness that was our stage before we were saved and uh, you know it's a, it was a terrible state to be in we were reserved for judgment uh, as I said, a perfect and a holy God cannot overlook sin. And it required blood sacrifice 
sin requires life but the life has something to do with it and ultimately sin as we know from the scriptures that leads to death now, in the Old Testament there was a sacrifice of animals that provided a temporary covering on sin in the New Testament the more perfect covenant is the perfect blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from our sin and uh, you know, we've got to be careful this morning, and I'm speaking to myself when I say this, that um, we don't take a cavalier or a uh, nonchalant position towards sin. You know, we have this sort of tendency, and I certainly have done it and I do it, to grade our sin. You know, I know this week I said, I said something to Jenna, and I thought it was a joke. And it wasn't really, it, was, it, was, it wasn't nice. And I realised, you know, that I had to say, you know, Lord forgive me, that wasn't right. We tend to grade things. I think we think that, you know, that's not too bad, you know, that won't offend anybody or that doesn't bother God or, you know, it might be stretching the truth a little bit or, you know, an exaggeration here, an exaggeration there, a little joke with somebody that's a little bit more than a joke and, uh, you know, these things are sin and uh, thank God they can be dealt with today. Thank God for his amazing grace this morning. Thank God that the Father turned away his face and that for that instant, that Jesus carried our sins, past, present, and future. Amen. Buried. It says in that section that he was buried, and he truly was buried. It's very much part of the gospel. He really did die, and he really was buried. And um, when we're baptized as new believers, there's a symbolism there about being buried, and uh, because we go down as the old man and we're buried and we arise as a new man, a new creation in Christ. I'll look at another scripture, Matthew 12, verse 38 to 40. Gospel of Matthew. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we will see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, an evil and an adulterous generation seek it after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Can you picture Satan at the time when Jesus was put into the tomb, gloating, thinking that he'd actually overcome and had won? The same Satan who since the time of Cain and Abel has been trying to destroy the red line that runs through the Bible, the line that leads it to the Saviour, that's still trying to destroy the church nowadays, that's still present in persecution throughout this world. You know, persecution perhaps in the sense of, of um, militants and, and violent persecution in, in Islamic countries or communist countries. Perhaps the more subtle persecution here in, in the gradual eradication of your Christian freedoms and, and uh, you know, the ability to to uh, display your Christianity openly thinking he had the victory but praise God he hadn't because there was a great event that followed the burial that's the resurrection of course now Lazarus was in the tomb Lazarus was in the tomb for three days and it says that he stinketh Jesus was in the tomb for three days now we know that recently Pastor Werner Schultz um, was taken very seriously ill and it said the report there said that he died you know it's possible for a man to die and to be medically revived 
But I suppose you, if you're dead for three days, when the spirit departs the body, you truly are dead. So there's no manipulation here, no, or no um, tricks. Jesus truly was dead. And it truly was a miracle, a miracle of God, that he was raised up. So let's look again, and let's go on to the next word, which is rose again. He rose again the third day. And this is the great victory over sin and death because our resurrection reflects Jesus' resurrection. And um, men were not ignorant that this was going to happen. Again, we talked about 330 prophecies in the Bible. Well, there are prophecies in the Psalms and throughout the, the Old Testament. Uh, let's look at Psalm 16, verse 10, just on the topic of the resurrection. It says there, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Many hundreds of years before Calvary, that was written. And that's what was fulfilled. And Matthew 16, verse 21 from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. What sort of proofs can we look at if you want to just satisfy your reasoning and your intellect this morning? If you read further into the, beyond the verse 3 and 4 in chapter 15, you'll get an account there of how many witnesses seeing the resurrected Jesus. It's 500 plus. You can also look at the the, um, the conditions that would have prevailed among the disciples at that time. They perhaps would have been terrified that the man who they spent three years with was suddenly crucified, dead and buried. Perhaps they would have been in despair. So why would they to being able to go to a sealed tomb, to open that tomb and to perhaps, as some would say, to steal the body. With the Romans in on it, the Roman guards, they would have been executed if they'd actually been a, a, a miss, remiss for the duty of, of guarding the tomb. There are lots of reasons people put, put forward, but uh, they don't stand up to scrutiny. And in fact, um, legal minds have actually looked at that that the evidence presented here and said that it's quite convincing that Jesus truly did rise. Think of the life change that took place after the resurrection. Think of Peter. Peter, a man who was scared of a child, who confronted him about his um, actions before Jesus was arrested, during the time Jesus was arrested, going before a large group of people are preaching a sermon with such conviction that 3,000 came to the Lord. It took something amazing to bring about such a change in what were frightened men. They wouldn't give up their lives for a lie. Many gave their lives for martyrs. Would they do it for something that never happened? I don't think so. Several years back, Jam and myself were in Gordon's tomb, which is um, one of the two locations, I believe it is the correct location, where they say Jesus was laid, where the sepulchre is. And um, on the gate it says, He is risen. And there's something special about that place. He truly is risen. So, 
resurrection achieved? Well, there's no value in a dead Saviour. And if you read, as I said, read further into, into Corinthians chapter 15, you'll see there it says in verse 14, And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith also is in vain. As I said earlier, we'd be wasting our time here this morning if the resurrection did not occur. In verse 17 and 18 it says, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. And we spoke about sin earlier on. If we were in a sin still, then we're definitely in trouble. They, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. So our loved ones who have died and have gone before us, we wouldn't see them again. So what a, a miserable outlook we'd have this morning if not for the resurrection. There's no justification about the resurrection. I might just look at the last one or two scriptures. Romans 4 verse 25. Who was delivered for our offences and was raised again for our justification. If Jesus wasn't raised, we're not justified this morning. We stand condemned before him. Thank God that's not true. There was an account I've seen, just to, to give you a bit of encouragement this morning. This is actually on YouTube and um, it took place in South Africa in 1981. And there was a, a Muslim apologist, his name was Ahmed Didas, and uh, an American evangelist, Josh McDowell. And they were having a public debate. And the debate centered around what we're looking at this morning, the resurrection of Jesus. And it was done in a, in a forensic sort of manner. This man, Ahmed Didas, was a... Uh, when I watched him, it looked to me like he had a legal mind. He was quite a... Um, a daunting man to encounter in a debate. He, he brought up fear in those that he was facing. And this debate went on. It's about a two hour long um, YouTube video. But there's one section that comes to it and uh, it really captures everything. And I think it really brought about the victory for uh, Josh McDowell in this particular debate. Not the debates or everything, but in it, they've gone through a lot of what we're talking about here and they're debating back and forth about the evidence, the 500 witnesses, and you know why the Romans guards wouldn't have done this, and you know went on and on. And then Achmedidat stood up and he says, "Just give me one example of where Jesus says he died and he rose. Just give me one example." And it was like a, a taunt. And um, he sat down. And Josh McDowell got up and he says, "I will." He says, "Revelations 1 verse 18. I, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold." I'm alive forevermore. Amen. It brought the place into, into applause and there was really a joy, I think, for all Christians who were there. And I think it probably um, would have brought maybe a challenge or a conviction on acting to do that. But it was a, a very, very powerful response to that particular question. Now, I, I know again from, from talking to Muslims and the outreaches in the city that it can be quite confronting in the sense that they, they will also carry a, a, a gospel or with them and they'll say, well, you know, which of your Gospels is true? There's so many versions. They'll fire a question at you, and before you have a chance to answer, they'll fire six or seven more questions in a row. Now, if you're not careful, you find yourself standing in a tizzy on the spot and uh, quite confounded. But uh, this man had a very, very clear answer. 
and uh, direct from Scripture. And it is the words of the, of the risen Jesus to John in Revelation that he has had victory over death. In fact, he holds the keys of hell and of death. Amen. And the last word in those two verses, and it's repeated twice, which I think should emphasize to us the importance. It says, according to the Scriptures. Again, I just put it to you this morning, you can put your trust 100% in the Scriptures. They are the Word of God. And I wouldn't entertain anybody who criticizes them and tries to, to um, debunk them or say that they're myth. myth. You can boldly and confidently as a believer this morning stand on the Scriptures. And what I said about prophecy this morning is just one example. This book, the veracity of it, stands up to very close scrutiny. And uh, I think of cases like archaeologists. I mean, uh, there was one I, I, I like to give concerning the, the Hittites. The Hittites are mentioned in Scripture as an enemy of Israel. And uh, for years and years, the archaeologists and the anthropologists, the historians said, there's no such thing as the Hittites. They don't exist. They didn't exist. Until suddenly, someday, in an archaeological excavation, turned up a... Um, a fragment of something that says the word of Hittites they did exist. Similarly, they said David, King David didn't exist until evidence was turned up. Like the story of um, Qumran and the, the discovery of the ancient um, scripts of Isaiah, the fragments of them, which were put there by the Essenes um, very shortly after, after Calvary, that period of the first century perhaps. And then when compared with other accounts from the 9th century, were found to be in effect identical. So there's so much evidence to support the Bible, apart from just our own faith this morning and trusting in the Lord. So I'll just conclude by saying, this is genuine, and to use Australian parlance, it's fair dinkum, 100% trustworthy. And again, just I'll just finish on the words of Jude 3. Don't be like the Galatians. Be a Berean. Contend earnestly for the faith that was once and finally handed down. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you one and all this morning.